Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome back to class. I am back from an experience I'll never forget over in Kentucky. And I tried while I was up there to record the audio, but it didn't work out just with their sound system. So what we're going to be doing over the next three weeks is going over the message that the Lord put on my heart for them. And I believe it is relevant for us. And it's called the Good Shepherd. I'm excited. The Good Shepherd. So we'll start with uh, kind of the, the scripture that we'll build on is when Jesus refers to himself as the Good Shepherd. John chapter 10 verses 22 through 30 in the reading out of the ESV. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple, the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe, because you are not among my sheep. And verse 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So to kind of set the scene for what's going on here, if you start reading in John chapter 3, that's when Jesus begins performing all these miracles, and He heals people, and He uh, walks on water, and He feeds 5,000 people, and all of these things are going on. And so people have heard about Jesus, but they kind of corner Him in church, and they're like, hey, tell us the truth. Are you the Christ? Are you really the Christ? And he's answering them, if you don't get it by now, you're not going to get it. It's like the difference between, we were just talking about some sports teams earlier, and every year people talk about who's better and who's beat who and what's the record and who's going to make the playoffs. And sometimes people say, man, this team's so good, this team's so good. But a lot of times you say, well, I'll believe it when I see it. Who have they beat? What have they done? And Jesus is saying, look, I'm undefeated. I've conquered sickness. I've conquered death. I've caused storms and waves to cease. I've fed 5,000 people. My record speaks for itself. These people still aren't convinced. But the ones who are convinced, he says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. So when we talk about this, uh, obviously none of us here are sheep farmers. Any agricultural gurus? No. So in this day and age, they didn't have babwar, as we call it in Texas. They didn't have separate fields or plantations. Everyone just had communal fields outside the city. So they would take their sheep, and their sheep would get mixed up. Their sheep would eat, and their sheep would do what sheep do. And then when it was time to come back home, the shepherd would call his sheep. Now, because he had a relationship with these sheep, he could blow his whistle a certain way or a certain wind instrument or a flute, and the sheep would hear that. And then they would leave the other sheep and go back with the shepherd. Does anyone in here have a dog or have had a dog? Right. So if your dog is playing and you call your dog, chances are your dog's going to know who you are and be like, oh, my human is calling. And then they come back. Right? That's how my two dogs are. They're hilarious. So when Jesus is giving this example, we can understand how pets work. But with sheep, they were all mixed together. And they would call and say, hey, it's time to come home. And then those sheep would know the shepherd's voice and follow the shepherd back home. Because they didn't have uh, sheepdogs back then. They didn't have canals and chutes and cowboys on horses. And ah! It was, you call your sheep and they follow you. Now the thing is this, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will ever snatch them out of my hand. 
So now he's talking spiritual matters. And the first week of this series, we're going to start off by saying that you have a place. We're his sheep. We're not just any sheep. We're his sheep. And you have a place. And I love to tell this story. My mom used to work at the uh, Head Start organization with the little kids, kind of like a pre-K. And so they would get younger brothers and sisters after they taught the older brothers and sisters. And there was one kid. Oh, he was so adorable. He was so excited. It was the first day of school and he put on his nice clothes and he had his big old backpack that was like half the size of him. And he came in and they had all their little names on a little, uh, not a placard, but like a name thing that they taped to the table for little kids. So you may have seen it with uh, the girls and where they work, yeah. if you've ever been there. They have like the names and they sit there. So he was so excited in this brand new place and they were gonna eat lunch and they said, okay, this is where you sit. And his eyes got big and he looked at my mom and he said, there's a place at the table for me? Because he had never been there before. This is his first day and he was so excited because he didn't know that those people had been preparing that place for him. And Jesus even says in the Bible that he goes and prepares a place for us. And if it wasn't so, he would not have told us. So in this same instance, when Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, there is a place for them. And that's very important because of the scripture that we're going to read next. And it has to do with sheep. And this is also the words of Jesus. And he's giving this example. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? So what we're focusing on in this first week is that we are his sheep. And many times, just like in the sheep of those days, we go places, we get mixed up with other sheep. We work with people, we go to school with people, we are on teams with people, and maybe we don't even like all those people, right? The people that I interact with every single day, they're not all my bestest best friends, but we have to interact with them. But then when it comes to the things of God, when it comes to my relationship with Jesus, I know that when He calls me, I have to be available. That when it's time for Sunday service, this is where we're going to be. This is what we're going to be doing. When it comes to the things that, well, we could do this or we could do that. That's why uh, typically, unless it's something like the Kentucky trip, I won't miss a Sunday service because I know that that's where I'm called to be. I'm not going to be going to uh, a game or, you know, taking and vacations and different things. We understand that happens seldom throughout the year. It's not like I'm every other week going somewhere and wiling out. But when it's time to be where God has called you to be, that's where you need to be, right? Like I had a, a friend and they just adopted. So whenever they have free time, he's always doing stuff with the family. Because when you have kids, it's different. That's your responsibility. And when we have a calling, it's different because we have a responsibility. We're not our own. Now, what I want to look at in this verse is this. A man owns a hundred sheep. One of them wanders away. Will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? I'm a school teacher, and I know a lot of kids would be just fine with a 99. Anybody in here? If you had a 99 average, you'd feel pretty good about that, right? 99? It's a lot better than a 95 or an 80. It would bother you, right, that you're right there on the edge. And it bothers the shepherd. And the reason that it bothers the shepherd is because each and every one of those sheep has a place. They belong. They have a calling. They have a purpose. And the reason that he goes and gets that sheep is because it is his. Now, when we read this story, we don't often talk about uh, 
unfortunate facts of the case, and that is the sheep was not where it was supposed to be. Sometimes we are not where we're supposed to be. I remember uh, like in college, whenever I would be having such a great time with my friends, and sometimes my mom would call me on the phone and she'd be like, what are you doing? And I don't want to lie to my mom and be like, well, we're out swimming in the river instead of studying, or we're out watching a movie instead of going over homework. And she knew just kind of by the Spirit of God, hmm, something doesn't feel right. Let me call my son. Because we have that kind of relationship where she can almost like feel what's going on. Do you guys have that with your parents? Like, you know, when they know that you know they know. And you're like, oh man, I know that they know. And they're like, what's, uh, what's going on? Hmm? What have you been up to? And that's just one of those weird parent things. We had a, a UIL trip for, I think it was speech and debate, and we drove all the way down to the valley, like just north of Mexico. So we're driving back, and it's gotta be two something in the morning. And I asked the, the oldest kid who was riding shotgun, I say, hey, can you check my phone, see if my dad's called? So she picks up my phone, and she's like, no, you don't have any missed. And then my phone starts buzzing. And guess who it is? It's my dad. And she's freaking out. And she's like, how did you do that? How did, how did you know that he was, he was going to call you? And I thought to myself, I'm like, all right, Holy Spirit, help me to tell her. Because she's not, you know, someone who understands maybe spiritual things. And so I told her this. I said, you know, this cell phone that we have, if you'd have pulled a cell phone out 200 years ago and FaceTimed somebody, they would have said, you're a witch. Right? We didn't have that technology. And even a hundred years ago, if you'd pulled your cell phone out and recorded a video and then showed someone else the video, they would have just freaked out. Like, how did you do that? But the thing is this, we've always had that spectrum of radio waves on the earth. It's always been there. But now we have this technology where we can tap into it and use it. And she's like, okay, I'm following you. So then I told her, I said, could it be possible that there are wavelengths energies, things that I would call spiritual or supernatural, that we just don't have the technology to measure. And she says, well, it makes sense when you say it like that. Well, yeah, of course it does, because that's what it is, basically. I mean, when God created the heavens and the earth, He knew all of the energies and the waves and the radiation and everything that was out there, and how just there's this creative force and how the molecules interact. It was crazy. It was amazing. And we understand how to listen to the Holy Spirit, but other people who don't, it's just weird, right? They're like, how'd you do that? How did you know? Oh my gosh. There's a story where Jesus walks up to a woman at the well and he's like, hey, can I have some water? She's like, don't talk to me. I'm a Samaritan and you're a Jew and we don't talk to each other. And he goes, oh, okay, well, why don't you go get your husband? She's like, oh, I'm not married. He's like, yeah, you're not married. And the five people you had before that weren't your husband either. And she's like, oh, how did you know everything about my life? And then he told her, hey, I'm Jesus. I know things. I heal people because Jesus doesn't hate people. He heals people, right? So then she goes into the town and she's like, come see this man who told me everything I've ever done. And that freaked people out. But the reason is because we're his sheep. And if we forget that, if we're mixed up with our friends and we feel that kind of, oh, I shouldn't be doing that, oh, I really shouldn't, oh, or we hit send and we're like, oh, I wish I could take that back. Am I right? Am I, I'm not the only one, right? I'm not. Okay. All right. <laughs> it's because we're his sheep. And when we hear his call, we know his call and we can't escape his call. And even when we try and wander off, because I've got some people on Snapchat and they have wandered off and I pray for them. And I love them and I miss them and oh, it hurts me when I see what they're doing. But I'm not their shepherd. 
Jesus is their shepherd. And I know that no matter how much fun they think they can have or how busy they try and keep themselves, that there is a point in time where they hear his calling and they can't get away. I know that no matter how much you try and say, I'm living the dream and I'm living my best life and oh, we're having so much fun. I know that they remember that the good shepherd's calling them. And what I love about this scripture is this, that even though the sheep has wandered off, the shepherd doesn't say, ah, I'll take a 99. It's better than a 95. <laughs> Notice the shepherd doesn't say, well, that sheep should have known better. It's, it's on you now. You got to learn. Because sometimes our parents will be like, well, you know, I told you so or different. And we hate to admit like, oh, yes, mom, you're right. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but the shepherd, he didn't care. He didn't care how cool the sheep was. He didn't care if the sheep said, I hate you, don't talk to me. He didn't care if the sheep was actively running away. He said, that's my sheep, and I'm going to go get it. Because that sheep had a place at the table. That sheep belonged. That sheep was part of the good shepherd's flock. And when it wanders off, no matter how far it goes, the shepherd will continue to come after them. And that's the hope that I have. And I want you to think about people that maybe you grew up with or people that you love or people who have come to church. And not just this church, but God-fearing people who have wandered off. And sometimes we get upset. Sometimes we're angry. I've talked with other ministers and they get, oh, they're like, this person should be doing better. Oh, it hurts me. And there are some Christians who love to rejoice whenever people are like, well, look at sister so-and-so. Oh my goodness, I can't believe she's doing that. I would never, right? Ugh, your woman crush Wednesday would never. <laughs> oh my goodness. Unfortunately, that's not how the Good Shepherd works. And if we're to be Christ-like, then we should never, ever rejoice when something bad happens to someone else. And there are some people who say, well, that's God's judgment or, oh, you watch out. Unless the Holy Spirit inside of you gives you a warning to stay away from that person, that's not of God. Because the character of Jesus Christ, he literally says in the beginning of John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. I lay my life down for my sheep. So if we're supposed to be like Jesus, then all of these people who, I mean, if they're not here because they can, can't get a ride or they're not here because they don't want to come here anymore or we haven't seen them, or they came to camp and then we just lose touch or we keep up on social media and we're like, wow, you know, you weren't acting like that at camp. We shouldn't push them away and say, you're not worthy of being with us because we are the same way. Because our parents and our friends and our pastors, they don't see our DMs. They don't know our drama or our history or what we're up to. But Jesus doesn't chase the sheep based on whether or not the sheep is good. Jesus goes after the sheep because the sheep is His. And I want to give you this so you can always remember it. God loves us not because we earned His love. Because nothing you ever did caused God to love you. So nothing you ever do could stop God from loving you. And a minister put it this way, and I'll never forget it. He said, we are loved because we are God's workmanship. We are God's special prize. We're God's creation. He said, and how do I know this? Because we don't call ourselves human doings. We're human beings. So we're loved just being. 
We don't have to do anything to earn God's love, which is weird because we grow up in a culture that says you have to be good enough to get rewarded. You have to be good enough to make the basketball team. You have to be good enough to make varsity. You have to be good enough or look good enough to get asked to hoko or whatever. Right? We live in this culture that says if you're not this, then you cannot be that. If you're weird or you're not cool or you can't sing or you can't dribble or you can't hit or you're ugly, then you're not going to be good enough for whatever. But thank God, Jesus doesn't act like that. See, in Matthew chapter 13 and 14, he, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 18, verses 13 and 14, he says, And when he finds that sheep, he rejoices more over that sheep than over all the other ones who were already doing what they were supposed to do. And many times as Christians, we say, well, I make God more happy because I don't make God more sad. And logically, it sounds like it fits, right? Like when we have siblings and we say, well, my mom likes this sibling better because they never get in trouble. <laughs> I'm not going to say who. I'm, okay, you guys know because I only have one sibling. right? <laughs> but we often say, well, mom, how come this and how come that and how come I got in trouble and they didn't get in trouble? And we keep track, right? We keep tabs. We file that one away. And next time, oh, remember when so-and-so did this? <laughs> and we keep record of wrongs. Now, the Bible says love keeps no record of wrongs. But Jesus didn't go after the sheep because the sheep was good enough. The sheep had wandered off, like the sheep left. And many times we as people, we say, well, if you leave, I don't need you. Right? Well, that's, that's your choice. No love lost. Like you'll, you'll come back right? <laughs> when you realize, mm, yeah, you downgraded. And we always do that to just protect ourselves, right? Like if that's gone, we don't want to let it hurt us. We let's, let's build a wall. Let's distance ourselves. Let's not let that person, which is what a lot of people do, especially some pastors too, when people leave on bad terms. And they say, well, well, you're under God's judgment or you're this or you're that. But the spirit of God, the spirit of this good shepherd is one that when you leave, I'm not happy that you're gone. I'm not happy when bad things happen to you. I want you. I chase you. I pursue you. And that's a beautiful picture. That's a beautiful picture for me because Lord knows I mess up a lot. Right? Pastor Rosie was talking about how we are to be spiritually mature. And yes, we continue to grow and we continue to lead and we continue to live a holy life. But when we do mess up, I'm so thankful to God that He continues to chase us. He continues to come after us. And right now, you may have, I wanted to talk a little bit about this. You may have seen in the news or social media that someone rather famous is exploring their relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, this person has even come out and said that Jesus is king. And a lot of people are so quick, just like we talked about with tough times don't last and tough people do, immediately they bring up his past. Well, wait a minute. Didn't you used to say this? Didn't you used to say that? Well, look at you and look at what you've done in the past. Well, that's so the past. Exactly. Right? You're talking about... Yeah, it's, it's Kanye. Hey. <laughs> it's, yeah. So when Kanye says Jesus is king and I'm working out my salvation and, and I'm getting to know Jesus better, there's so many people who are like, well, Kanye's not a Christian because he's not good like I am. Justin Bieber attends a, a church in New York, and he's got a pastor who's mentoring him and walking him. But then people say, well, you messed up. Look, you're not a Christian anymore. <laughs> Christian doesn't mean perfect. Christian means Christ-like, which means you're seeking, you're learning, you're growing. And from what we can see, the Bible says you shall know them by their fruit. What we can see, Kanye seems to be genuine. 
I don't know his heart. All I can do is see his actions. But I see him being more loving. I see him smiling a lot more where always Kanye was just like mean mugging everybody. Yeah. And there's just this joy, this unexplainable joy. And the only thing that's changed in his life, I mean, he's, he's been married for years. He's had his kids for years. The only thing that's changed now is his faith. But people want to say, well, you don't belong with us, sheep. You're the black sheep. Have you guys ever heard that? The black sheep of the family? It means it's the one kid that the parents aren't proud of. I know, right? Because like, well, you know, crazy uncle so-and-so, he's the black sheep of the family. And that's how sometimes the body of Christ acts to people who need grace. And that's not what we're supposed to be like. Like if we were to have somebody come into youth class, and I say this for anyone who's listening, if we were to have somebody come into youth class and they have a reputation, I would hope that we greet them with love. I would hope that we would be the kind of influence that would say, hey, come and be a part of this. Come and be a part of us. Come and experience this joy and this freedom and this relief and this beautiful holiness that Jesus offers you instead of, oh no, we got one of those, right? And that's so hard because all our lives have been trained, no, don't do that. No, don't do that. No, don't do that. And when we see someone, we're like, stay away. Stay away from me. I'm not going to do that. I don't want to be seen with you. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to. No, we're not friends. <laughs> but that's not the love of Jesus. Notice how Jesus didn't leave his 99 sheep and go party it up with that other sheep. Right? Because then there's other people. And this was one thing that burdened my heart with Halloween when they were like, well, we're free to do whatever because God loves us and forgives us. I'm like, okay, you need to go read your Bible because everyone who is out there being all. Because, I mean. There are plenty of fun times to dress up. Our school does a ton of spirit days. You know what I'm talking about? Homecoming, East West, FFA week. There's always a reason to have fun and, and dress up. And that's always fun dress up times. But whenever it comes time for this, it just brings out the worst in people. I mean, you see people dressing up like, like prostitutes and putting it all out there like, oh, well, it's just in fun. No, 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 this is bad. And you see all these demonic things and like, well, we don't have to be afraid because Jesus conquered death. Okay, well then let's celebrate Jesus. Let's not celebrate death. I could never dress up scary. I would kill myself. Right. And then, and this is, oh, this is so hard for me to communicate because most of my family is Hispanic. We celebrate Jesus and his resurrection from the dead. So biblically, it's kind of at odds with a lot of cultures who say, well, we're going to take this day to celebrate the dead. We can't. You can't talk to the dead anymore. It's in the Bible. Like they've passed on. It's between them and Jesus where they are now. We can only pray to Jesus, which is also kind of a sticking point with some other religions because they're like, we're going to pray to this saint. We're going to pray to that saint. We're going to pray to this saint. But Jesus came to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's John 14, 6. So if Jesus says you can only get to the Father through me, why are we trying to go through all these other people? Well, especially when they're like, well, blessed Mary, mother of Jesus. Hey, she's dead. She's not his mother anymore. You see what I'm saying? He was before Jesus. He was before Abraham. We can pray straight to Jesus. We don't have to pray to anybody else. And yes, we remember. Yes, we honor, especially with my grandmother who's passed on. But we don't venerate and worship the dead. Because that's what it is. If you build an altar to someone, it's because you're going to worship and it's nice to hold on to their memories. It's nice to remember things and mementos and keep pictures of people from the past. But when you build an altar and you light candles and you invite their spirit to come and visit, 
That's not in the Bible. Well, it is in the Bible, but it is under the list of thou shalt nots, right? And so the thing is this, that we are trained from a young age to do really, really, really good. And if you're good enough, you'll be rewarded. And if you are good enough, then you can make fun of the people who are bad. But then when we grow up and we realize what Jesus is really like, he never ostracized or ridiculed or hated on the people who were in sin. See, when they brought the lady before him and they threw her in the dirt, said, this woman was caught in adultery. Now, we don't know where the man was because it takes two to tango, but they brought Jesus the woman and said, Moses said to stone her. What do you say, Jesus? Oh. And Jesus was faced with a choice. He could have said, well, yes, thank God we're not like that. Let's get rid of that. Let's, let's remove that from our presence. No, Kanye is not good enough to come to this church. What he said was, you who have no sin, cast the first stone. And everybody wants to stop there and say, look, you can't tell anyone to stop sinning because Jesus didn't throw the stone. Yes, Jesus didn't throw the stone, but he also didn't leave her alone. When those guys left, he said, woman, where are your accusers? And she says, I don't know, Lord, they're gone. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Now he gave her instructions. Go and sin no more. See, everybody who says Jesus is love, what they're really saying is Jesus doesn't mind if I sin. But if Jesus didn't mind that we sinned, why did he go to the cross? You guys remember when we watched that video about Jesus on the cross and they were singing, nobody knew. And they whipped him and beat him. He suffered all these things. And then around Easter time, we talked about how he said, it is finished. He is risen. Why would he go through all of that if sin wasn't a problem? Why would he need to go to hell, conquer death, conquer sin, raise on the third day, go to the Father victorious, shed his blood on the mercy seat, if we were not separated from God? So we have to walk this fine line knowing I need to walk in repentance. I know that I am not any better than anybody around me. But at the same time, I don't need to actively run away from Jesus just so I can feel that goodness of forgiveness. There's a lot of people who do that. There are people, sometimes it's so bad that it's a medical condition, where they will go and do something bad just so people will feel sorry for them so they can experience that care and that kindness. Because maybe they don't get it at home. Maybe kids, as psychologists say, act out for attention. I teach some of those kids. They don't get attention at home. They don't get attention at school. The only way they get attention is by acting out. We're mature. We read the Bible. We know that Jesus loves us. And even the Apostle Paul in the New Testament says, Should I sin more so that Jesus can be glorified with more grace? No. If you love Jesus, if you know already that we're His sheep, then we should actively avoid unholy acts, not unholy people, but unholy acts, because we know that that's not what He died for. He didn't die to give us a hall pass to go and say, well, take two turns and collect $200. That's not what Jesus died for. He died to redeem us. He died to save us. And when we realize that, then we realize two things. Thing number one, we shouldn't just go around sinning because He's going to forgive us. And thing number two, we shouldn't be afraid of sinners because of His forgiveness. And that's what I wanted to talk to you guys today because we are His sheep. Matthew 18, 12. 
And no matter what happens, because I have talked to youth in this class, not in this building, but in this class, who have gone astray. And I gave them the same word. If you ever go astray, and you ever say, well, I don't need this, and I'm going to go live my life, and I'm going to make my decisions and my choices, and once I'm out of the house, I'll be able to do what I've always wanted to do, but I never had the chance. Guess what? Jesus will still love you. He'll still pursue you. We as the church, as the body of Christ, will still love you. And sometimes people leave because they get mad at pastor, or they get mad at brother Jonathan, or they get mad at sister Ruthie, or they get mad at brother Edward, or whoever, because maybe they were told not to do something. Like, well, you can't tell me what to do. Well, that's, that's not in the Bible. Like they're Bible scholars all of a sudden. I know a ton of people who read one or two scriptures, and then it changes their whole life. Well, it's not a sin to drink because Paul told Timothy to drink some wine for his stomach. Okay, what else does the Bible say about wine? About how wine is a viper and if you look long enough into its eyes, it will kill you. What do they have to say about those scriptures? What? That's in the Bible? What? And they say, well, well we can say whatever the blankety blank we want because we're free and, and we don't have to worry about it. It's all under the law. Yeah, but the Bible also says that fresh water and spring water can't come from the same source and let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. Oh, no. Well, I can go watch scary movies and, and I can watch nudity because uh, I, I have victory over sin. Well, then what about Philippians 4.8, where the Bible says, whatever is true and noble and holy and righteous and loving, think on these things. Well, that's none of the above. Oh, we have to realize that there are some sheep out there who are acting bad, and they don't want to hear the shepherd's call. But no matter how far we go, even if you are one of those who grow up and turn away, you cannot escape the good shepherd. And that's what gives me hope. That's what gives me hope when... I send a little snap message to someone that I haven't seen in months. That's what gives me hope whenever some of our own family members are testing the waters. And thank God that we have testimonies of people who have grown up and then say, you know what, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Some of us, that hits pretty close to home because we've had relatives, siblings, who say, hmm, I wonder if this is my faith. I wonder if I can get away from this good shepherd. I wonder how far I can go and not feel bad. Maybe I'll go to this other church because they won't tell me to stop doing things. They'll just encourage me and pat me on the back and say, friends, God loves you. You can't get away from the good shepherd. Even if you try and get away from your pastor shepherd or your youth pastor shepherd or your mommy and daddy shepherd, you cannot run away from the good shepherd. And this beautiful, funny, silly graphic of Sean the sheep here is like, what? <laughs> Do you know who Sean the Sheep is? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. yeah. So, Sean the Sheep is funny because he's always getting into trouble. And I thought this was a great image for us. Because at our age and in our culture, there are so many opportunities in many different ways where we can just get into trouble. When you're scrolling and you see something and no one sees what you see, and you're like, well, let me just take a little bit longer look. Hmm, let me just appreciate God's goodness in this beautiful person. <laughs> right? Yeah. Ooh. Oh, what? Click here to learn more. I want to learn more. And then we say, oh man, just like Adam, I messed up and I hid because I was afraid. And the problem with a lot of people who run away or go astray is that they don't want to come back until they get it right. The problem with that is you can't get it right until you come back. So it's kind of a catch-22. Well, I don't have things in order, so I'm going to stay away. But the longer you stay away, the less you have things in order. Just, just come back. 
Now Whitney Houston, uh, an amazing singer, songwriter, ended up with uh, some substance abuse problems in her life, an abusive relationship, and she actually has a sister that you may know as uh, a gospel singer called Cece Winans. Do you guys know that? Powerful, amazing, anointed family, praise and worship, gospel music, and then their sister went and did all that stuff. And there's a song that Cece sings, and it says, come on back home, you've been gone way too long. God has been good to you, he's brought you through and through over and over again. Why can't you see the signs? Just look around. Come live in happiness. It's almost over, come on back home. And so it was really just, it was reaching out not just to her sister, but so many people who say, well, yeah, I remember this and I remember that. I got a lot of Facebook friends and we'll remember the times when we grew up together in church. Oh yeah, I remember when we did this, or man, when we went to that concert. Oh my gosh, you remember when Sister Dora put us in those robes and we had to sing those songs and ring those bells. And oh, it was fun and fun and fun and fun, but then we grow up and we make our own decisions, make our own choices, we start our own families. And no matter how old you get, even Pastor Ruben's dad is here and he's in his 90s, no matter how old you get, what choices you make, the Good Shepherd's still calling you. Some of us have friends and relatives who are making bad decisions, and every time somebody brings something up at church, we immediately think of them. I know, I know. We say, man, what about sister so-and-so? What about brother so-and-so? What about uncle so-and-so? What about my cousin such-and-such? God also wants them too. I love this image that when the Good Shepherd sees that the sheep has wandered off, he doesn't say, serves you right. He never says, that's your business. He never looks at that sheep and says, go to hell. No. He goes and says, I want you. You're mine. I'm coming after you. I'm going to leave all of these. They're fine. They're good. They know what to do. They read my word. They're, they're carrying on. Let me go and get you this conviction of the Holy Spirit saying, you're my sheep. No one's going to snatch you out of my hand. If you had a child and someone were to try and take that child from you at the supermarket or the amusement park or the grocery store, you would hang on to that child because that's your baby. And that's this vision that Jesus is giving us. That's my sheep. No one's going to take them from me. Not the world, not social media, not drugs, not alcohol, not promiscuous sex, none of that. And that's the view that we need to have. Here's the crazy part. Even towards our enemies. How many of us have looked at our enemies and said, well, you know what? They also belong to Jesus. They're also his sheep. Well, not very many of us. Sometimes we're like, well, I'm his sheep and you're not, so, so you need to go away. It's open. Yeah. We have to have that same grace. And grace is different than mercy. If you don't know, I'm going to kind of break it down for you. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Mercy. Where have I heard mercy before? Uh, mercy? Do you know anybody named Mercy? My dog. Your dog's name is Mercy. <laughs> Why did you name your dog Mercy? Um, I didn't name her. Oh, okay. Who named your dog? Um, Pastor Rosie. Pastor Rosie named your dog Mercy. And mercy is beautiful because when someone has mercy, it means you deserve something, but you're not going to get that. Right? 
Like whenever a kid says, well, Mr. Sixos, I forgot to do this assignment. Can I still turn it in? And I should say, no, you get a zero forever. And say, okay, here's our policy. You can still earn some credit. All right, that's mercy. Grace is when you are given something that you don't deserve. So mercy is saying, well, you're not going to get this, okay? But grace is when you get something else. So God has mercy on us because we all deserve to go to hell, even if we're nice and, and kind and warm and loving and we're just like, oh, Jesus loves you. We still, we deserve to go to hell because anytime you sin, even if it's just once, now you deserve to go to hell. That's just how it works. Now, of course, it's more complicated than that. We were born into sin. Satan wants to steal us away from God like the good shepherd. No one will snatch them out of my hand. But then grace is this. Jesus gives us what we don't deserve. So it's one thing for him to say, well, okay, uh, I won't send you to hell. But it's another thing to say, you know what? I'm going to give you eternal life. I'm going to give you a covenant. I'm going to give you health, wealth, prosperity in every area, in your relationships, in your body, in your mind, and your finances. And you don't have to have anxiety, and you don't have to be depressed, and you don't have to be so focused on what other people believe about you because you understand that I made you, and I have all of this for you. We have so much that God gives us, which is why it just hurts me so much when people run away. Because it's like, where are you going to go that has anything better than that? How much could you possibly drink that would give you fulfillment? Because you're going to wake up with a hangover. Your liver eventually is going to hate you and possibly give out. The friends who love you so much and we're so part of it, if you run out of money, they're gone. Right? Andy Minio has a song and he says, When was the last time you thought about me? Probably the last time the drinks were on me. Because if you stop giving people what they want, they'll go find someone else who will give it to them. If you chase this life of fulfillment and sex, well, guess what? Eventually, you're going to have child responsibilities. Your body's going to change. You're going to be different. You're not going to be as appealing. And then what? Uh-oh. Because a lot of our friends are out there and like, look at me and look what I got. Yeah, well, how long are you going to have it? Then what? Everything that we chase in this life is temporary. People will say, well, I'm chasing money and I'm chasing this and I'm chasing that. And then you get in trouble for handling money wrong. And then what? Uh-oh. Now your money's gone. We say, well, alcohol is not going to do it. Sex isn't going to do it. Money is not going to do it. Power is not going to do it because we've seen what happens to all the politicians and all their crooked deals. So what's the only thing that's going to last? Well, that's the love of a Savior who, even though we mess up, who, even though we run away, even though we say, stay away, I don't want you, I don't need you, He's still going to keep coming for us. And that's a good shepherd. What we're going to talk about next time is the price that He pays once He finds that sheep. But I want you, before we close today, I want you to think about sheep who have wandered off. And now that we've kind of gotten it out there, I don't want you to think about it as, well, God, that person, you need to, you need to spank them, and they need to have troubles and calamities upon them so they can come back to church. I want you to think about them with a heart of compassion, like Jesus thinks about them. And we're going to say a prayer, a prayer for them that we pray that God would move in their hearts to bring them back home because that's where they belong. And we're going to pray also for us that God would move in our hearts that we would be ready and willing and wise in the way that we welcome them back. I love to tell this story. It was the, the Saturday before I became youth pastor. I had just graduated college. I had just moved back home. We had an amazing Holy Ghost outpouring when we had them on Saturdays. You remember that? We used to have them on Saturdays. So it was the first Saturday of the month, and the Holy Spirit was moving, and I prayed for the pastors, and pastors prayed for the people, and everybody. It was amazing. Then I went home, and I took a nap because I was tired. And I woke up in the middle of my nap, 
And God moved on my heart because a friend of mine from college, her sister had run away from home. She had taken off to be with this boy who loved her. And I told my friend, I said, yeah, I'm going to pray for her. We're going to keep her in prayer. We're going to reach out because we knew where she belonged. We knew where she needed to be. And I woke up from my nap and I kid you not, like I literally just prayed and I said, Rachel, it's time to come home. And then I went back to sleep. Like, that's it. Just moved by the Holy Spirit, the compassion of God. I just said, Rachel, it's time to come home. I went back to sleep. So then Sunday, the next day, I started doing the youth pastor thing, and it's fun, it's exciting. And then we go home, and I was like, oh, let me check on Leah. I said, Leah, how's your sister doing? And she said, she came home yesterday. Wow. I had never met her sister. Still haven't. In that one moment, God used someone like me. Right? I'm nothing special. I just love Jesus. And in that moment, he used me to pray a prayer for her to come home. I didn't know her. I didn't text her. I didn't have social media. I didn't have any bias against her because I saw what kind of pictures she had been putting up or the things that she had been saying or listening to. All I knew is that she was not where she needed to be, and God intervened. And that's the kind of hope that we carry into this prayer. So I'm going to uh, just kind of pray a general prayer. For those of you listening to the audio, you can go ahead and agree. And then we are going to pray over ourselves that we would have a, a welcoming heart and believe that the Good Shepherd's not going to give up on the people who aren't here today. Father God, I thank you that you are the Good Shepherd, that you sent your son Jesus to show us the way, that you pursue us, that you chase after us, even when we do wrong things, even when we have wrong thoughts, even when we wish we could get away and, and try something that we've always wanted for a long time. God, we thank you that you give us mercy, that you don't condemn us, but that you say like Jesus did, hey, I'm not condemning you, but go and sin no more. And Father, we just pray for our friends and our family and our friends, uh, families even, who don't have a relationship with you or, or people who used to be here who are not, who are running away from you. God, we thank you that you, the Good Shepherd, would even leave the 99 and chase them and pursue them and track them down because they have a place here. They're part of the body of Christ. They're part of the family of God. And we just speak out of a heart of compassion, Father, that you would reach down right now and touch their hearts, touch their minds, stir something up in them, this, this Holy Ghost restlessness where whatever they try and whatever they do and whatever they're up to, to try and drown out your voice, that it wouldn't work. That they would know in their hearts where they're supposed to be. That they would know that they have a purpose. That they, they would know that they were made in your image. They're precious and they're beautiful. Even if they don't feel good or feel holy, even if they're chasing fulfillment and other things of pleasure in this physical body of ours. God, we speak their name to you today, just like you used me six years ago, and say, it's time to come home. Lord, you know who we're thinking of right now. You know who we have in our hearts. You know who we miss. You know who even we're angry at. And we want to give them a piece of our mind because they need to shape up and get their act together. But God, you know the words that they need to hear. Thank you that the Bible says it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. Thank you that you challenge us to a life of holiness. And as we continue to grow, that we wouldn't use them as an excuse for what we do. That we wouldn't say, well, so-and-so got away with it, so I'm going to try it. God, we pray right now with a heart of compassion. It's time for them to come home to the Good Shepherd. 
And Lord, we just pray over ourselves as well that when they do come, because we believe in faith, that you will lead them back to us, back to you, God. Give us a heart of compassion. Help us to challenge them in holiness, to provoke each other to righteousness, and not hate on them, not turn them away, not feel like we have to rub their sin in their face because they got away with it, but now it's time that they got what they had coming to them. No, God, help us to welcome them home like you do whenever you find that sheep. Whenever you say, now I found you. Just like the prodigal son when he came home. He said, my son was lost, but now he's found. He was dead, but now he's alive again. God, give us that kind of heart that when they come back to you, that we would be willing to come alongside them, to take their hand, to lead them and say, look, there's no condemnation. We don't have to go back to that sin. If you mess up again, you don't have to run away. You don't have to leave. There's grace. There's mercy. There's healing. There's holiness. Father, give us that kind of maturity that we could reach out into the lost and broken world, even our friends, even our classmates, our teammates, our family members, and be that grace, be that call home to the Good Shepherd. And Lord, as we continue this series, we thank you that we would see you for who you really are, even in a greater measure, that we could go out and tell others about you, about your love, about your mercy, about your grace, about what's waiting for them when everything they've tried has run out when their money runs out when their body is no longer desirable whenever the alcohol doesn't wash away the pain doesn't distract them the parties the drugs whatever it is god even if it's just staying busy and working 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 and playing 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 there's a place for them at the table in the house of god and the body of christ lord we lift them up to you today in jesus name Amen. Welcome back to class, everybody. We're going to continue our series, The Good Shepherd. This is week two. So last week, week one, if you have a chance to go back and listen to it, it was about how we are his sheep, specifically focusing on John 10, 27, where Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. I know them and no one can snatch them from my hand. I give them eternal life, all the benefits. But then he used in uh, Matthew 18, 12, this example of a sheep who wanders off and then the shepherd goes and finds it. Even though there's 99 other sheep, the shepherd still goes and finds that sheep. So last week our topic was we're his sheep. And today our topic is it ain't cheap. Can you guys say that? It ain't cheap. It ain't cheap. So I want to talk today really quickly about Monopoly. Are there any Monopoly players in the class today? Yeah. It takes forever. You can hang on with $5 in a hotel. It's like, I'm going to make it. Oh my gosh. It just takes hours, hours. I have it on my PlayStation and it takes a long time because like I said, you never run out of money. So long as you got that property there, you pass go, you stay out of jail, you just keep going forever. So the, the object of Monopoly, you, which most of you already know this, is to gain all the money buy all the properties and bankrupt whoever you're playing with. It's ruthless. It's cutthroat. I love it. It's great. It's a lot of fun. So that's what the, the object of Monopoly. And there are things that we do for uh, a price, right? You, anyone in here have a vehicle like it's your car? Not yet. <laughs> Believing in faith? Yes. 
So when I take my car to different places, just last week, I had my oil changed. Now I could do it at home, right? Just like jack it up and then go in there and find a little screw thing. Now my car is like a smaller car, so everything's more compact. When it was my truck, I just slide under there, reach up with my arm and do stuff. But with this one, it's like, uh, I'm just gonna pay somebody to do it. So I drive somewhere and then I say, I park my car and they say, well, what you got? And I say, well, I have 5W20 full synthetic. They're like, all right, it'll take about 20 minutes. And then they do everything that they do. They unscrew the little thing and drain all the oil. Then they take the old oil and they tighten it and they pour the new oil and they put like a new oil filter and everything. So depending on where I go, it takes between, uh, I'd say between 30 and 50 bucks, just depending on who's doing the oil change and how long it's gonna take and that kind of stuff. So we charge a price. And we value things based on what we think they should cost. You guys ever bought something from somebody? Not from the store, but like from somebody. I do a lot of Facebook marketplace shopping. Uh, I bought, what did I buy most of you? I bought a, a microphone from a guy and I went into his neighborhood to get it. And I was a little nervous. I'm like, I hope he's here. So the first day that I went to meet him, which is actually last Sunday after church. I knocked on the door and this huge guy opened the door and I'm like, are you Calvin? He's like, no. Is there a Calvin here? He's like, mm-mm. I was like, okay, bye. And so I messaged the guy. I was like, uh, they said you weren't there. He's like, oh yeah, my bad, man. I left. I couldn't wait. I'm like, oh, okay, well maybe tomorrow. So then I tried. I finally got a hold of him on Tuesday and the mic was awesome. It smelled like smoke, but it's a really good microphone. So I enjoy doing like audio stuff. So that worked out well. But the first time he was going to sell it, he had it listed for $50. Now it's worth like $80 or $90. But I was like, oh, I'm not interested in this time. Because to me, see, to me, the microphone wasn't worth $50. And then I got a notification on Facebook. It's like, so-and-so has updated the listing for such and such. He lowered it to $40. So then I messaged him back and I'm like, hey, bro, you take 35. And he's like, yeah, that'll work, that'll work. So I got it for 35, because to me, it's worth 35. So we're gonna take a little audience poll survey. Where are my coffee drinkers at? You drink coffee? No, coffee? Coffee? I mean, Co I like None of you don't drink coffee? I do not. Okay. I like coffee, but I don't drink it all the time. All right, well maybe you'll be a little more objective. What do you think it should cost to buy a cup of coffee? Uh, I don't know. Like what kind? Yeah, or just plain black coffee? Or? Like, uh, coffee with a little bit of cream and a little bit of sugar and maybe a shot of flavor. Like $7. $7? Like $1.50? $4? Any ideas? <laughs> I know it's kind of hard if you're not a coffee drinker. But it depends, right? Because if I were to say 7-Eleven coffee, then Lily's over here thinking, okay, 20 ounces, sugar, let's say it's $1.50, right? Mm. That's good coffee. But if I were to say, <clears throat> Starbucks. That's what I was thinking. Ah, uh, yeah. What is that place called here? There's a place here that does coffee? Yeah. Ooh, I always Anchor pass it. Anchor in Love. Are they open on Sundays? Uh, I think so. I might have to stop by. I'm a bit of a coffee connoisseur myself. Yeah. Okay. All right. Over by the, like, that strip with Hibbit and KFC and Donald. That Italian place is closed now, right? They're pretty good. So we uh, <clears throat> we assign value based on what we think it's worth. And if <clears throat> excuse me, if we don't think it's worth it, then we're not going to pay that much, right? Like if you drive past Starbucks and you're like, okay, 
it's coffee. You know what I mean? It's not worth $7. So you're not going to pay $7. Yeah. So I said the word Starbucks, and you immediately attached value to that name. That's the difference between Reebok and Nike. All right? Chances are you buy Nike, you're going to pay more than Reebok. Now all the schools are recently doing like Adidas for volleyball, everything, because of Nike's uh, advertising. But when you say a certain name, you assign value to that name. It's worth it. Like back you guys, or you ladies remember when Kendra's were the thing? Everybody had to have their Kendra's. And don't mess with my Kendra's because they were, everybody knew, $50. Even the little ones, $50, because they were Kendra. But if you just walked a few stores down and went to Claire's, right, you can buy 10 pairs of earrings for five bucks, right? Like, oh, because we attach value thinking that's what it's worth. Same thing with cars. You can buy a luxury vehicle, you can buy a regular vehicle. Same thing with clothes. You can buy a fancy brand name. Like when it comes to shoes that I'm gonna use and work out in, I'll pay money for those shoes. If it's just shoes I'm just gonna wear with an outfit, I'll hit up Payless, right? I'm only gonna wear them three or four times, right? So we assign value. And today we're gonna talk about what our value is. Do I have any gem collectors in here? Anybody interested in gemmery? No? Well, I did some digging, pun intended, to look up what the most valuable precious stone is. Does anybody know what the most valuable precious stone is? Wow, what a really good guess. So blue diamonds are the most valuable precious stone. In fact, one time at auction, the highest appraised value of a blue diamond ever, it sold for $3.93 million per carat. Now, a carat is like small. A one carat would be like an earring, right? You see those one carat earrings? But the reason that it was priced so high is because it was a natural, big, clear blue diamond. But the more naturally big it is, the more each carat's worth. See what I'm saying? Because those don't occur very often. The little ones, you can find the little ones anywhere. But a big one, that's where the value's at. $3.93 million. And I was thinking about this when I looked up this uh, precious stone. You guys realize that diamonds are just dirt that got smushed. Yeah. Isn't that wild? Like you think about, you can drink coffee. You can wear clothes. What can you do with a diamond? It doesn't really help you. Maybe if you're like an industrial person, you use like a diamond blade or something. Or you have like a diamond sword in Minecraft. But a blue diamond... Just because it's blue, just because it's big and shiny, people value that. People like shiny things. Yeah, people love shiny things. That's why gold for thousands of years was a currency. People would say, well, I want this. What will you need in exchange for that? Well, I'll take some shiny metal. Okay, so we had gold. And up until like the 70s, every dollar was backed by gold. But now, a dollar is not backed by gold. It's backed by belief. We're not on the gold standard anymore. So if you ever have, uh, if you ever go to like a bank, they'll have a little sign next to the teller and it says, backed by the full faith and credit of the United States Federal Reserve, right? You know what that means? We're playing with monopoly money. Because if the United States Federal Reserve has a low credit rating, then our money is pretty much worthless. Yeah, your whole life is monopoly, right? That's crazy. 
So when you think about this, it's like, wow, it's weird what we attach value to. You know what I'm saying? Like we attach value to shiny rocks, shiny metals, uh, fancy coffee. Uh, we attach value to paper straws. Like, oh, I'll pay for that paper straw because the turtles. Oh, the turtles. <laughs> and I want you to think about this. How do you assign value to yourself? Now, we said earlier that what we're talking about today is your price. Hmm, your price. There's a song by Need to Breathe. It's called Money and Fame. And he says, uh, everybody's got a price, I guess. It's even lower than you think it is. It's all right. It's all right. It's all right. So then he says, what do you kids want to know about now? I've seen enough to make a young gun proud. Money and fame bring a man shame, ain't no doubt about it. And he says, what do you kids want to know about now? I saw the devil in the bright lights now. Money and fame bring a man shame. Ain't no doubt about it. It's a really good song because it has like, it's like a rock jam. I love to listen to it on my motorcycle. It makes me feel cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just turned it on and then when the trumpets hit, like I'll drive out. Yeah, right? You're just picturing that in your mind. So I want you to think about your price, all right? Your price, what do you value yourself? What makes you valuable? Now, some of us, we think, well, what makes me valuable is that I'm smart. How many of you think you're smart? <coughs> Any A honor roll kids in here? A's and B's? I see the rest of you out there. <laughs> all right, okay, A's and B's and C's. So some, but you know those kids, right? Those kids. Whenever the teacher's like, okay, tonight you're going to have an S. Yes, Sally. What font size? <laughs> okay, it doesn't really matter. So tonight you're going to, yes, Sally. How many pages? I can't remember what he said. And then, uh, and remember that it's going to be, yes, Sally. If I turn it early, is it extra credit? <laughs> There's those kids. I know, I'm a teacher. I know those kids. So we have people who think, well, I'm valuable because I'm smart. Right? Now, we all know, especially in this room, People who say, I'm valuable because I'm athletic. Ah, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah? Nope. Whenever they get in trouble and the teacher's like, I'm going to email your coach. And then they're like, he ain't going to do nothing. I'm going to play. Watch, I'm going to play. <laughs> and sure enough, they play because they're so athletic. They say, you can't touch me. We're in playoffs. You mess up the playoffs. Yeah. We had a kid. Uh, I won't say his name because we're recording this. But we had a kid and he was such a good athlete. Freshman, varsity, running back. That's how good of an athlete he was. Bad kid, right? And no one could tell him anything because he's like, I'm good at football. It don't matter. He's in prison now because he, he messed up. We're not going to talk about how he messed up because it's a youth class, not adult church. But he messed up and he's in prison now because nobody could tell him nothing. Right? I guess he was listening to what's his face, Nas X or whatever. Can't nobody tell me nothing. Oh my God. Yeah, and now he has reached the end of his old town road. So we assign value to ourselves maybe on we're smart or we're athletic. And then there's those other kids. We assign value on how pretty we are. Right? Now I run a social media account for a business and all the people who follow the account, it like shows you, do you know this person? You want to follow this person and all that stuff, right? Team follow back. And so there's a lot of people on that account and the account that I run is mostly geared towards uh, school people because it's a school account. And all of the school people are infatuated with image. Like they're always retweeting all these beautiful people and these makeup artists and saying, oh, I wish I could. Oh my gosh, I would give anything for a body like that. Somebody, uh, they said, I would give anything for a body like that except eating healthy and going to the gym. <laughs> I've been seeing that one commercial and it's like, I want to be 
skinny so bad, I even tried not eating pasta for a day. Yeah. Well, know. the problem is that some people want to be skinny so bad, they try not eating for mm -hmm. multiple days. And then it consumes you, right? There are people who are addicted to working out. That's all they have time for. It controls everything they eat. Now, of course, if they're professional athletes, that's their job. I get it. But if they control what they eat or they make themselves throw up or they starve themselves, then all of a sudden, uh-oh, your value, everything that you are, they say, I need this. Or I need to get work done. I need to get a surgery. I need to add this or take that or do this or do that. Because we assign value on different things. Some people value smarts. Some people value athletic ability. Some people value physical appearance. Some people value, well, I'm only valuable if I can please people. So I'm going to please as many people as I can. And I'm going to help this person and do that person. And just give and give and give and give. <gasps> oh, I'm so tired. Because we think that we can add value to ourselves. So let me tell you something. Nothing that you do is actually going to add value to your person. Let me explain what I mean by that. Let's look at some scripture here. So Matthew chapter 13, verses 44, 45, and 46. The kingdom of heaven. This is Jesus talking. He's telling a story so that people can understand. Because Jesus knew regular people don't understand heavenly stuff. So he uses stories. That's what Jesus does. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. See, in this instance, they find something that they believe is worth more than everything they already have. That's crazy. Because I want you to think about what Jesus is saying here. I personally have a lot of stuff. Amazon and I are close friends, right? So I buy a bunch of stuff, and then I always tell myself, right, when something's on sale, well, I might need this later, right? <laughs> like I just last night was laying in bed, and I got a notification from Best Buy, and it's like, oh, pop socket mounts are on sale for $2.99. And I'm like, $2.99? That's really good, because normally they're $9.99, right? So you see where I'm thinking here? And I'm like, let me buy two. But it's okay because I had a $5 coupon. You see what I'm saying? Yeah? I'm beating the system here. So now, I mean, if I show up on one Sunday and just kind of mount my phone right here, you know how that happened. So we value things and we're like, oh man, this is more valuable than that. Like the people who are in debt are saying, this is more valuable than money I'll make in the future because I'm going to have to pay that back. That's how most people go to college. They'll say, hmm, the next 10 years of my life, I'm willing to pay money so that I can go to school for four years. Hopefully just four years. Hopefully it doesn't take you seven or eight or nine or ten. I know some people who are like professional college students. <laughs> they just kind of live off of the government. So these people here that Jesus is saying, look, they found something that when they consider everything else they have, that's more important. I mean, everything they have. My car, my motorcycle, my PlayStation. Like there are very few things that are worth more than everything that I have. You know what I mean? Like my health, if all of a sudden I needed to sell everything and pay for medical stuff, I would do it. You know what I'm saying? Like I would not be like, ah, well, I had a good run, guys, but I got to hang on to my motorcycle. Like you can't take it with you. <laughs> there are very few things that are more valuable than everything. So we have to think, what is Jesus talking about here when he's giving these two stories? A man finds a treasure in a field, a man finds a pearl, and he sells everything 
to get it. Because remember, we said we value things based on how rare they are and what others are willing to pay for them. See, the guy wanted $50 for his mic, but I wasn't willing to give it. So I'll give you 35 And if he valued the money more than the mic, then he'd give up the mic for the money. Because his mic's on his money and his money's on his mic. That's an old rap song reference. You guys probably don't get it. Got my mind on my money and my money on my mind. I don't even remember who said it. It's some old rapper from like the 90s or the 80s or something. Iconic. Yeah. I also uh, heard Kanye's album yesterday. It's pretty good. Jesus is King. It's pretty good. I liked it. So we value things based on how rare they are and how much others are willing to pay for them. Like dollars, like makeup, like food, like drinks, like services, like changing our oil or working on uh, construction jobs and say, well, I'm willing to do this job for this much money. And then people say, well, okay, I'll pay you to do that job. So what could it be that Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like someone finds something and is willing to give up everything? Well, here's what that means. See, let's talk about Jesus for a second. A little theological. We'll put on our theological caps and be Bible scholars. So if you remember from July when we talked about baptism, we knew that Jesus was there in the beginning of the whole world, before creation. There was just like gloopy, globby, formless void. The Hebrew words are bohu and tohu, meaning void and vacant. Like there's no purpose, there's no substance. It's like a foggy, gooey mess. And then God said, let there be light. And there was, right? And we call that like, oh, the Big Bang. God created everything. Bang, there it was. He created the heavens and the earth. He separated the waters from the, the land. And then he put the plants and he put the animals. And then he made man. And then he made woman. And then he said, all of this is good. But then man messed up. Adam did something bad. We always say, well, Eve ate the apple. But the Bible says Adam was right next to her. <laughs> so everyone's like, well, the woman's messed up. Well, okay, but the man was right there. Be like, no, honey, silly, no, no, right? No, no, bad Eve, bad. <laughs> so uh, the rapper Flame, he does this in his song Show Out featuring Lecrae. He says, paradise was lost. Adam, why you wreck it? Mess around with trees and found out that he was naked. Then sin entered in. Now I've got a message that sin is the infection and the Savior's been rejected. Oh, man. So Jesus is the only one who can fix it, right? That's why he's called the last Adam, not the next Adam. So if we look at the beginning, the Bible says in John chapter 1 and verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And by Him everything was created. So when God says, let there be, we call that the Word of God, right? Then in the New Testament we learn Jesus literally is the Word of God in flesh. Like God took His words, stuffed it in a baby, out comes Jesus. That's a very rudimentary understanding, okay? There's a lot more to it than that. So then we realize, wait a minute, if the Word was there in the beginning, Jesus, the Word of God, died for us. Now we kind of feel a little bit more of this weight, like, whoa. Because if you think about it, we are what was found. So God made us, made us out of dirt, all right, smushed us together, and from dust we come and from dust we'll return. That's what the Bible says. So what are we worth? Well, in Matthew 18, 12, the shepherd doesn't go after the sheep because it's an athletic sheep. 
The shepherd doesn't go after the sheep because it's a pretty sheep. The shepherd doesn't go chasing after the missing sheep because it is a very smart sheep. The shepherd goes after the sheep because it's his sheep. Even though at that moment in time it's being a bad sheep, right? Like it's supposed to be over here with the other 99 and it wanders off. It's like, la, 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 ooh. That's his sheep. And even though it's being a bad sheep, even if other people would be like, what a worthless sheep. Look at this sheep making all those bad decisions. Oh my goodness, this sheep is bad. The shepherd goes, because that's his sheep. John 3.16 says this, as we're talking about Jesus and prices and value, that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him, Jesus, will not perish but have everlasting life. So when we're talking about value, we say God looked at us and said, wow, look at the whole world and they're lost and Adam messed up and everyone inherited his sin. What am I willing to give to get these people back? So like Jesus is telling these stories about a man who finds a treasure and sells everything that he has to get that treasure. Or a man finds a pearl and gives everything he has to get this pearl. How are diamonds and pearls made? Well, they're made over time. Now, if a little piece of dirt gets stuck in an oyster, the oyster is irritated. So it covers it with a layer, and then it covers it with another layer, and it covers it with another layer. It's like a, not a waxy substance, but it kind of, it hardens into a pearl. That's why it's like shiny, oily looking. Pearls kind of look oily. Mm -hmm. And it covers it and covers it and covers it. And the more time that the pearl is in the oyster, the bigger the pearl gets. And the bigger the pearl gets, the more valuable the pearl is, according to people who collect pearls, right? See, the more time that it spends growing, the more valuable it is. That big blue diamond was valuable because it was big. And diamonds are made by smooshing dirt. Extreme pressures, huge pressure. And then out comes a dime. So I want you to think about this. We are valuable in God's eyes, not because we're pretty or smart or athletic, but because we're His. And even if we're doing bad things, even if we're making bad decisions, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6.20 that don't you know that you were bought with a price? Glorify God then in your bodies. Because, and this is kind of the, the difference between the youth class and the children's church. Children's church, we just leave it right there. Like, you're so amazing. God loves you. Yes. But in the youth class, we're going to talk about where we live. We live in a world who, apart from being smart and athletic and pretty, they value you based on what the world values. And a lot of emphasis on what the world values has to do with sexual things. Like you got little kids and they're trying to make them do these sexy dances. And you're like, who taught you that dance? Like you're five. You know what I mean? And then you grow up and, and then you're wearing all this stuff. And you're like, why are you wearing all that stuff? You're 12. You know what I'm saying? And then what do they say? Well, it's your own body and you can do whatever you want. And you're empowered because they assign value to your attractiveness. And that's not the way God created us. God created us to love him, to love each other, to do life the way that Jesus showed us how to do it. And the problem is, is that I've seen people who thought that, well, I'm valuable, I'm valuable, I'm valuable. And then they come out pregnant. And then everyone's like, well, girl, you done lost all your value. And it's like, oh, that's harsh, right? Because if that's what they got their value from, as soon as their body changes and they have a baby, then it's like, 
Well, now where does your value come? So then a lot of people say, well, my baby's my whole world, or my man's, or my queen. <laughs> we assign value. But I want you to remember this. If you want to put it in your phone or write it down. We are valuable because we are His. And this is how I want you to remember this. We're not valuable because of what we do. We're valuable because we are His. And this is how I want you to remember. We are not human doings. We're human beings. Can you guys remember that? We're not valuable because of what we do. God's not going to love you more if you go and spend your whole life in northern China saving people and being an underground missionary. God's not going to value you more if you say, well, I'm going to be a nun the rest of my life and I'm never going to get married and I'm just going to give my whole life to Jesus. And that's great if He calls you to a life of servitude like that, but that doesn't mean He loves you more. See, the problem with that thinking is, if I do this, God will love me more. Well, then the flip side of that is, if you do something bad, then you think God loves you less. And that's not true. See, I heard an old youth pastor tell me this like seven or eight years ago. There's nothing you can do to cause God to stop loving you. Because there's nothing you did to cause Him to start. Does that make sense? Like we grow up thinking, well, if I'm a good little boy and I make my bed and I put the dishes in the sink and I do all my chores, then mommy will love me more. Well, no, mommy loves you. It's just you have more favor with her if you do these things, right? Like even bad kids, parents love bad kids, even though they're bad. God loves bad people, even while they're bad. Because people say, oh, well, I can't go to church and I can't do it. If, if you knew what I've done, oh, you wouldn't even want to be around me. But I want to go back to this illustration from last week about this sheep. See, the good shepherd didn't just go after the good sheep. The good shepherd looked at all 100 of his sheep. And when one decided to go and do his own thing, he didn't say, well, these 99 are good enough for me. He said, that's my sheep. I need to go and get that sheep. And so when God looks at us, even when we mess up, He says, you know what? I'm willing to give up the most valuable and precious thing that I have ever, my son, to purchase that. Because sin had us. Adam said, I'm going to surrender myself to sin. I see that and I want it more than my relationship with God. And that's how temptation works. There's this thing and it's like, hey, you want this thing? Oh, I kind of want this thing. You want this thing? Oh, I want that thing really bad. Oh, you want this thing? Yeah, I want it. You're going to have to give up your relationship for God. Uh, okay, I really want this thing. And at the time, the Bible even says sin is pleasurable for a season, right? A season. We've got a cold front coming in next week, and we're going to be reminded, oh, it's, it's a different season. <laughs> but then guess what? The cold front will pass, and we'll be back to Texas and sweating and everything. <laughs> and that's how sin works. See? We're like, oh, I really want this really bad. Oh, I have it. Oh, that's amazing. And then what? Oh, man, I really messed up. Oh, shouldn't have done that. And then we have this mindset. The enemy tries to lie to us. Well, God doesn't want you back. Look what you just did. Or... Oh, your friend, you know, they don't want you back. What, uh, that's, uh, that's not me, <laughs> okay? Okay, I don't know who was on the TV there. <laughs> yeah, probably somebody out there. I think the TV's maybe all synced up. So, 
Uh, we've got our power slides, and this is the thing. We messed up. All of us have sinned, that's what the Bible tells us, and we all know it, right? We're at that age where we realize, oh, okay, I've done some bad things, yeah. I'm not saying any of you have gone out and killed a man. Chances are you probably lied. Chances are you may have taken something that wasn't yours, perchance. Chances are you've looked at somebody at your age and been like, hey, I really want that. And Jesus says, if you look at someone and you lust after them in your heart, you're an adulterer, right? Even if you haven't like gone over to the house to watch Netflix and chill or whatever. Even in your mind, Jesus said, hey, you looked at her, you thought some things in your head, you're an adulterer. It's that serious. But there's grace for that. You see what I'm saying? And if we believe this lie that what we do gives us value, then the enemy can very easily lie to us and say what we've done takes away from our value. Even, like we talked about last week, when they brought the woman caught in adultery to Jesus and said, Moses' law says to stone her to death. What are you going to do, Jesus? And Jesus says, well, if anybody around here has no sin, go ahead and throw the first stone. And then they're like, oh, I've sinned that one time. Oh. So they had to leave. And Jesus asked the woman, woman, where are your accusers? And she's like, I don't know, Lord, where'd they go? And he goes, they're gone. And I don't condemn you either, but that's not the end of the story. Because everyone loves to say, well, Jesus loves me, so I can go do whatever I want. <laughs> he says, go and sin no more. That is the illustration of God saying, you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, when I see you, yeah, you've messed up. Maybe you don't have a right relationship with God. But he wants you so bad that he's like, what do I have? What do I have? I have my son. I will give up everything so that I can have you. Now, Mallory mentioned the VeggieTales. And there's a story of the prodigal son that the VeggieTales did about the Wizard of Oz. You guys remember that? Mm -hmm. And then at the end, the son comes home and he's like, I've really messed up. But then the dad like welcomes him home and they jump on the trampoline. And I remember I went and looked up that song. And uh, it's from an album called Slugs, Bugs, and Lullabies. It's for little kids. And the chorus of the song says it like this. I love you today and I love you tomorrow. I love you as deep as the sea. I love you in joy and I love you in sorrow, you can always come home to me. And so even in the verses of the song, he covers these illustrations of the Good Shepherd because he says, there once was a man out in a field, found a treasure, buried out under a tree. He sold all he had just to own it forever. And that, the treasure is you, you see. And he, so he's going through this illustration. Like God would give up anything to have us. In fact, he already did. The most valuable thing that he had, his son. And he looks at you and says, I will give up my son so you can be my son. I will give up my son so you can be my daughter. And that's mind boggling, especially when you go to school and your teacher hands you back the quiz. And then you're like, wow, I don't feel valuable right now. Oh, that's a lot of red ink. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Or maybe you say, well, I got to go back to school and I'm not going to be on the varsity with my friends and I feel less valuable because I tried out. Or I was so good and so good and so good and, and now I'm injured and I can't play and well, what am I if I'm not the volleyball player? Or what am I if I'm not the starting left guard? Or what am I if I'm not the prettiest girl in the class? Or what am I if I'm not the smartest kid in the room? What am I? What am I worth? That's something to think about. Especially if you go through a bad breakup and you were so invested that you're like, well, I'm so-and-so's girlfriend, I'm so-and-so's boyfriend. And you go forever and ever and ever and then you'll break up and you're like, well, what am I worth if this person didn't want to keep me? 
What am I worth if my friends don't want to hang out with me anymore? And these are all lies that you're going to encounter over the next three, four, five, six, seven years of your life. What are you worth? And people will say, well, you're only worth how many Twitter followers you have. You're only worth how many Instagram likes you have. You're only worth how many people want you. But that's not what God says. When God looks at you, He says, you know what? From the dirt, smooshed together, you're my blue diamond. And I would give up my son to have you. Even when we feel a little dirty. Even when maybe somebody else has spoken to you and said, well, you're not worth blah, blah, blah. Or you're just going to be just like this person. You're going to be just like your aunt. You're going to be just like your uncle. This is why your dad left or whatever. People lie to kids all the time. Bad stuff. But God, who created you, who made you, who loves you, doesn't care about anything bad. That, I mean, he cares, but he doesn't look at the bad stuff you've done. He looks at you. Even if you're actively running away. Because you think about this sheep in Matthew 18, 12. If there's a hundred other sheep, this sheep doesn't just get lost. He walks away. You see what I'm saying? And I mentioned last week that I still have a lot of people on social media who have walked away. And I see what they're up to. And I see that they're running. But you know what? I'm not mad at them. My heart... It's like a, like a compassionate sadness. Like, you know what? You need to be here. You're part of the family. You, you need to you stop running because you can keep running and running and running. And we said last week, you cannot outrun the good shepherd. Once you have heard about how much Jesus loves you, you're faced with a choice. Now you have to decide, do I want this or do I want Jesus? Do I want this or do I want Jesus? And when you mess up, yeah, you say, I want this more than Jesus. But then you get it right. Then you repent. Then you turn around. You change your mind. You change your heart. You change your life. And He accepts you back because He was chasing you the whole time. But maybe you have friends or brothers or cousins or sisters or aunts or uncles or neighbors or whoever. And you're like, you know what? They're running from the Good Shepherd right now. And last week we prayed for them. You remember that? This week, I want to give you guys a challenge. The challenge is to see yourself the way that God sees you. I'm going to try and switch the input here and get back to the computer. The challenge this week is to see yourself the way that God sees you. There we go. And here's the hard part. To see others the way that God sees them. See, once we understand, like, oh, God loves us, God chases us, God... Uh, cares for us enough to pursue us and give up His Son for us, we want to keep that precious. But then there's people who have hurt us, people who have done us wrong. And then we have to make peace with the fact that, you know what, God loves them too. Oh, no. <laughs> but God, I, I want to see them suffer. I want to see them hurt the way that they hurt me. I want to I get back at that. I want to get... Revenge. You guys remember we talked about the difference between justice and revenge? Oh, Chad. Bad Chad. <laughs> so once we can see ourselves the way God sees us, this just kind of frees us up. Because guess what? That person may have lied to us or lied about us. Oh. But it doesn't affect us because we know that God would give up everything and already has to have us. But now the mature part is this. Can we live Christ-like? Because Jesus was on the cross and He didn't say, Hey, Father, make sure these guys go to hell. <laughs> that would have been really easy, right? <laughs> He's like, I'm dying for you, Peter, and you, Mary, and you, John, but not you. Ugh. <laughs> no. 
as they're piercing his flesh with nails. He says, Father, forgive these guys. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know that I'm doing this for them. They don't know that I love them and that I see them running away. And even if they hate me, I want them. I was thinking about that with NF's new song, Time. Uh, his album, The Search, came out a while back. Actually, he outsold Chance the Rapper in the first week. His billboard number one. And he says, even if we both break down tonight and go to bed angry and you say you hate me, I just need time. Because right? it's a song about him and his wife because they fight. But I think about this because we say sometimes to Jesus, well, why would you let this happen? And, and God, if you're real, why, why are my parents this? Or why are my brother and sister that? Or why do I feel these things? Or why, why is this happening at school? Why, God, if you love me, why isn't everything amazing and perfect and okay? Because of the world we live in. But then we try and say, God, I'm assigning value to you based on what you do. Oh, so... If God doesn't let you get away with everything, He doesn't love you? Well, no, that's not what a good parent does, right? Like, oh, mijo, I love you. Here, just eat Skittles the rest of your life. No, you're going to die, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, sometimes you have to do things that are uncomfortable to get better. Yesterday, I played volleyball for the first time in several months, and my body reminded me, like, you need to get back on track. Oh, yeah. And it's like, and they're like, how'd you do that? It's a gift. <laughs> Yeah, because we're getting ready for our turkey leg game when we play the seniors. so bad whenever you do that. Every single time you're like, what? Yeah, well, because this guy, he, he tried to dig a serve, and it just went backwards. And so I'm running and running and running and running. And then I just, whoop, and then it landed. And they're like, how'd you do that? I'm like, it's just, it's a gift. It's a gift. Yeah, it's God-given. Speaking of God-given, God-given compassion will overcome our emotions. Because... When I think about those people on social media, I should be angry at them because they hurt me. Because we had a relationship, we were brothers in Christ, and then they decide, I'm not even going to tell you why I left. That bothered me when it happened. You know what I'm talking about? Well, I mean, I'm sure you all know what I'm talking about. But then to see them further and further and further away, and I'm like, no, you need to come back. And if it was just me trusting in myself, then I'd be like, well, I'm going to fix this and I'm going to make them feel bad. And I'm going to be like, bad, no, bad. Well, they're not a dog. <laughs> they're humans. Humans have free will. This morning, my puppy was about to jump up and put his paws on my car. And I said, no. And he goes, <laughs> but people aren't like that. People can choose to rebel. But my job, if I'm going to be Christ-like, is to love them and pray for them. In fact, the Bible says, forgive your brother so your prayers are not hindered. That's crazy. Because we can be like St. Holy McJust, and if we have bitterness against our brother, then all of those prayers that we give to God, they're hindered because our heart's not right. Because then it would be a warped prayer. It would be like, you guys ever open up a box of strawberries and there's like that one fuzzy one? And then the ones around it start to get mushy and fuzzy? Well, that's how bitterness works in your heart. Like you can have such a good heart and be like, God bless the orphans in Africa. But then when it comes to your hometown, you're like, oh, and God, show what's his face that he needs to wise up. <laughs> that's, that's not a compassionate prayer, right? That's like, God, show him that you love him. Like bring him back home. He's missing out. And God, I don't want him to miss out. I don't want him to run away from you. I want him to enjoy this peace and this love and, and living the right way. Because we talked about it last week. No amount of drinking or smoking or boozing or sexing or dancing or partying is going to remove that knowledge that you have, I'm not in the right place. These people can lie to you. They can lie to themselves, but they cannot lie to God. 
and they're always going to have that tug. You need to come home. You need to come home. You need to come home. Because we now understand God is willing to give everything that He has to have us. And that's our price. Last week we said we're His sheep. This week we say it ain't cheap. Once you realize how valuable you are, it doesn't matter what anybody says to you or about you. Because God gave up everything that He had to have you, even if you didn't do anything to deserve it. The Bible says we're not saved by works, lest any man should boast. We're saved by grace, by faith. Because Jesus said, I'll go. I'll do it. I was there at the beginning, and I was there when God deposited the diamonds in the earth, and the gold, and the crust, and the lithosphere, and all the planets, and everything. And He saw all of creation, and everything He made, man and woman, the last things God created, He said, that's good. And then Adam messed up, and God still went looking for him. In the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve ate and then they tried to hide, God said, just like in Matthew 18, 12, because Jesus teaches us through stories, right? The good shepherd goes after that sheep. God had created the entire universe. <laughs> Oop, there it is. But that one sheep that left, Adam and Eve, he went looking. And the Bible says, Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? That's the first illustration that we have of the Good Shepherd. Because Adam and Eve had just messed up. They said, you know what? I want to taste of this more than my relationship with God. And a lot of times, can I speak to the church kids? A lot of times that's us as church kids. Like all my life I've been raised in, no, stay away from that. Ah, bad, caca, kukui, right? No. <laughs> yeah. My aunts and uncles used to say, don't go outside me, hold the kukui's going to get you. I was terrified of the dark. Thanks, Theo, right? Yeah. But a lot of times we're like, don't you be going to them wild party dances and don't you be hanging out with them girls and don't you be on that Instagram and you stay off of that facing book and all that stuff and don't you be Finsta and Twinsta and Twitter and, and Squitter and all that stuff. And then we see that, just like Adam and Eve, like, well, I can have all of this wonderful stuff, but man, I really want to try that out. Ooh. And so we try and engineer ways like, well, I'm going to, to Sally's house to study. But mommy doesn't know that Sally's not even at home either. You and Sally are somewhere else. <gasps> oh, no. Right? And that's the same temptation that was with Adam and Eve. It's the same way the enemy tries to get us. Well, has God said, do you have to live a life of holiness? Ah, you can have a little bit of fun, right? How are you supposed to pray for those people if you don't know what they're going through? <laughs> You'd be surprised at some of the things that I've heard when I talk to people, especially friends I had in college. We'd go to, like, different churches and stuff, and I'm like, what are you doing, man? They're like, no, it's okay. The Lord knows my heart. Like, what? What does that mean? Like, you can do all this stuff against Him because you know He'll forgive you? That's horrible. That's like saying, well, no, it's okay because Jesus died for me. Well, yes, He did, but you don't take advantage of that because then that sacrifice means nothing. That's like if mom and dad saved up money and bought you something really nice and then you just like put it on the dirt and you're like oh I just I need to walk from here to there and I'm going to step on it well that's valuable no it's okay because they, they gave it to me so I can do whatever I want no it's valuable you need to treat it to be precious right so that's a little message for the church kids that we want and we don't, shh, don't tell don't, no, don't tag me in your photos <laughs> uh oh so we see ourselves as valuable but we also need to see our enemies as valuable. We need to see all people as valuable, even if they're actively running away from the Good Shepherd. 
So last week I asked you guys to think about someone that you knew and that you loved and wasn't where they needed to be, and we were going to pray for them. And this year, this year, this week, <laughs> we're going to step that up a notch. Yeah, this week has been such a long year. <laughs> Have you seen that, that post? It's a social media thing. So I want you guys to think about somebody who's hurt you. Maybe not in this past week, but in this past year, in this past few years. Somebody who's does something that bothers you or has done something that's messed with you, your mind, your family, your friends, something like that. Some of you already have a name in mind, but the rest of us, I want you to kind of think about this, okay? And we're going to spend some time praying for those people. So just kind of make this your own prayer as we join together and pray. Father God, we thank you for the word that we heard today. We thank you that you love us and that you see us as that one lost sheep. Even if we're not doing what we're supposed to, you want us, you chase us, you pursue us. You say, I'm willing to give up everything that I have, my most valuable and precious possession, to have that thing. We are your blue diamonds. We are your pearls. We are your treasure. We were the joy set before Jesus as he endured the cross. God, we thank you that we accept that. We accept our forgiveness. We walk in our salvation. We're bold. We're excited. We minister to other people and say, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. And God, today we want to wrestle with this, that you love our enemies and you call us to love our enemies. And Father, you know how they've hurt us. You know how the things that they did or the things that they said have messed with us in our minds and our hearts and our feelings and our emotions and our, our friendships, even our families, if it's family members that we're thinking of today. And God, we ask you for a heavy, heavy compassion. God, we ask you to move in our hearts and remove that bitterness. God, cleanse our hearts, wash us clean of anything that we're holding against them, any grudges that we hold against them, even any hatred, because we know that the Bible says if you hate your brother, you're a murderer, because hatred will, will grow and spread just like rotten strawberries. God, we don't want that in our hearts. We want to be full of your love. The same love that would look at us and all the wrong things that we do and forgive us. We want to have that same love towards the people who have hurt us. And God, right now, you know who each and every one of us are thinking about. You know what we think about those people. You know what those people have done to us and our families. And God, right now, we just take a step of faith and forgive them and release them. God, we let you deal with them because anything that we do couldn't fix it. Just like anything that we did couldn't save us. You saved us, God. And we even pray mercy for them that you would save them before it's too late. God, we don't want to see anybody go to hell. We don't want to see anybody hurt. We don't want to see anybody die before they get to know you. Lord, give us a heart of compassion like Jesus had a heart of compassion. That when he looked at the city of Jerusalem, they hated him and always gave him troubles and stressed him out. And he wept. And he said, I've always wanted to gather you under my wings like a, like a mother hen does with little chicks. God, that's your heart. Even when we run away in Matthew 18, 12, that one lost sheep, that even in Matthew 18, 13, and 14, where you say, when you find that sheep, you rejoice more than the other 99 who are already doing what they're supposed to. God, we pray that when our enemies come to know you, that we will be ready and willing with open arms to love them, to forgive them, to introduce them to you. And let them know that they are precious. They are valuable. They are worth it. Like even we see in the world all these uh, slogans about you matter, you matter, you matter. 
God, I thank you that we matter because you made us. We are not human doings. We're human beings. And you gave up your son, Jesus, for us. God, give us grace for our enemies, whether they're relatives, family members, friends, former friends, exes, whoever it is, God. Soften our hearts. Cleanse our hearts and minds that we wouldn't carry that baggage, that it wouldn't waste our emotional energy. We wouldn't be stressed out or anxious or angry, all these negative emotions in our bodies. God, let us be at peace with you and with them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, thanks for tuning in, guys. Next week we're going to wrap up our three-part series on The Good Shepherd. Welcome back, everybody. We are on week three of The Good Shepherd. And we've been talking this uh, series about Jesus, our Good Shepherd. And the first week we talked about how we're His sheep. You have a place. And last week we covered in our message that it ain't cheap and how we have a price. And today we are going to cover how it is yours to keep. You have a purpose. Now, we've got a fun little graphic of a shepherd boy on the screen. And I want to just remind us of the scriptures that we've been looking at in John 10, verse 27, where Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice. They follow me. But today we're going to fast forward a little bit to John chapter 21. And I want to talk to you about Peter. Does anyone in here not know who Peter is? The apostle, the, uh, some people say he's the founder of the church because he stood up on the day of Pentecost and he gave the first message of salvation to the Jews. So we're going to start in John chapter 21 and verse 15. We've got a few scriptures to go through, but let me set the stage for what has happened here. Peter, Peter was the guy who got the revelation. He's like, oh, Jesus, you're the Christ. And Jesus is like, you win. Tell him what he's won. So he said, on this rock of revelation, which is what Peter means, Petra, meaning rock, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, what Jesus was saying is not that Peter was going to be the church. He's saying this revelation that Jesus is the Messiah. He's our hope. He's our salvation. He's everything we need. That is what the church is going to be built on. So the church is never like connected to a guy. Some people are like, well, I don't trust the church because this person or pastor such and such or televangelist what's his face or prophet who knows who. The church has never been about a man. The church has always been about Jesus Christ. The problem is that when Jesus was in the garden praying and it was time for Judas to be betraying and they didn't get this message that Jesus was relaying, Peter pulled out his sword and tried some slaying, and Jesus like, put that sword up. And then Jesus got arrested, and all of his homies rolled up on him and took off. And they took Jesus away, and he was in the garden, and then he goes on trial, and we know what happens next, right? They crucified Jesus. And while Jesus is on trial, speaking of rolling up on a homie, people saw Peter in town, and they said, uh, I know you from somewhere. Have any of you watched The Office, that skit where they're doing CPR on the dummy and Dwight ends up cutting the face off of the dummy and puts <laughs> it on his face and he's like It's this crazy scene because they all start dancing to staying alive because they're trying to keep the beat whenever they... And so there's this part where the creepy old guy, you guys know the creepy old guy from The Office, 
he points at the CPR instructor and he says it's, it's so random. You were in the parking lot earlier. That's where I know you from. <laughs> and it's so like random in the middle of her instructions. But I think of that scene whenever I think of Peter because he's trying to escape. Jesus was just taken, this leader, this Messiah that they followed, and they're like, wait a minute, the, the gates of hell were not even supposed to prevail against this church, and now they're gonna kill Jesus. See, we have the easy part, right? People are like, oh, I would have loved to live in the time of Jesus. I don't know about that. There was no AC, there was no toilet paper, there was no Wi-Fi. Jesus died. We are all excited because Jesus has risen, and we know that. But Peter watched him get taken away. And Peter found out, oh man, they're going to kill Jesus. And then somebody said, hey, you're with Jesus. And Peter freaked out. And he rolled up. And he's like, no, no, I don't know who this Jesus is. And he didn't just do that once. He did it three times. And Jesus knew. He said, Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you're going to dip out on me three times. And the third time, he even starts cussing this lady out. And he's like, blankety, blank, blank, blankety, blank, big fuzzy blanket. There was cussing Yeah. It said he swore that he never knew Jesus. And he was just like cussing at her and just, I mean, insults and racial slurs or whatever, however they used it back then. He was telling this woman emphatically, like, nope, it's a no from me. And then he feels bad because he hears the rooster crow and he's like, ah. Oh, Jesus, I have rolled up on my homie. And so he feels horrible because first he was like, yeah, that's right. I got this revelation. Jesus said he's going to build on this revelation. And then he denies him three times. So then there's this thing when uh, right here, when they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And I got to think about what was Peter feeling like at this point? You know, we've been talking the last two weeks about Jesus calling these sheep home. And you're a part of the family. You have a place. Come home, come home, come home. But here's the tricky part. When they come home, how do we treat them? Peter was out there whiling, dissing Jesus. And then Jesus looks him in the face over breakfast. Picture two guys at the IHOP, one just down some pancakes with the pecan syrup. Maybe Jesus went for the blueberry syrup. And then one takes the coffee black, the other one likes a little bit of cream, maybe some sugar. And they're just catching up. Yeah, so how was it being dead? <laughs> Jesus is victorious over death. But he looks at Peter, and Peter, I'm sure, I am sure Peter was nervous about this because you all know what this is like. You mess up and all you think about until the next time you see that person is, how is that person going to react the next time I see him? You know what I'm talking about? Maybe it's been a while since y'all have talked, because this was only three days. But picture someone you haven't talked to in a while, maybe a homie that you haven't talked to. And you see them, and you're wondering, what is the first thing that they're going to say? Are they going to say, hi, Manny? Are they going to say, hey, what's up? So Peter... I mean, he denied Jesus three times, and Jesus knew it. And so here Peter comes. In fact, Jesus calls them to the shore, and Peter goes running and jumping and swimming to the shore because he's like, oh, Jesus, he's back. He's alive, which he said he was going to raise from the dead. But, I mean, they see him now, and they're eating breakfast. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now we're going to rewind a little bit and talk about how Jesus called him to breakfast. Most of you guys get a text. And those good morning texts. Good morning. 
or good morning snaps, don't want to get up right now. And it's all dark and you can see like outlines of their face. But here's the interesting thing. Peter was in a boat and they were fishing. See, Peter was a fisherman before Jesus called him to be a disciple. And he's out there and there's some, some guy on the shore and he says, hey, why don't you cast out over here? And Peter's like, oh, we've been out here all night. We ain't got no fish. What does this guy know about fish? So he pulls in the nets and they're full of fish. And then he remembers something. This is what Peter remembers. That's what happened the first time I talked to Jesus. Because they had been fishing. And this weird guy walks up with his entourage. And he's like, why don't you try this side? And Peter's like, I'm a fisherman. I know what I'm doing. But okay, I'll try. And the first time Jesus talked to him, his nets were so full of fish, they were about to burst. And he had to call in all of his homies and say, help me with this blessing because I can't contain it anymore. That's what the Bible says when it says you'll be blessed so much you can't contain it. And what that shows us is when Jesus comes back, the first thing, even before John 21 and 15, the beginning of this chapter, the first thing Jesus does is not remind Peter about the last thing he did. He reminds him about the first time they met. That's beautiful. That's so Jesus. That's so love. Because we always think whenever we talk to somebody, they're going to remind us about the last thing we said. Oh, well, I thought you said I was this and this and that, right? They'll wait for it to come up, and there's their chance, and then they're like, Ugh, and we're like, oh. Somebody, that kind of happened yesterday at volleyball practice. Somebody said something, and then I was just waiting, and I was just waiting, and then they messed up, and then I'm like, oh, well, something, something. And then as soon as I said it, I felt bad. I'm like, oh, so petty. But it's sports. You guys know that we get all worked up, right? <laughs> and so that's what I was thinking, too. When Peter saw Jesus, he's thinking, man, the last thing I did was deny my Lord and Savior three times. But Jesus doesn't go back to the last thing he did. Jesus reminds him of the first day they met. That's beautiful. In fact, the Bible talks about later on when Paul's instructing the church, he goes, get back to your first love. That's why our parents love to go on dates with each other because, yeah, they get all busy with the kids and work and job, and sometimes it just becomes a routine. But then they can get away and remember. Not remember the last thing they did. Well, why'd you leave your underwears on the floor? You know, it's just, you need to put up your socks. And I told you to fold those towels. And I don't know why it's all laundry related today, but just different things, right? You didn't gas up the car. And I told you to pick up so-and-so. And you knew that we needed to send your mom a card for the birthday or whatever. But remembering the first time. That's what Jesus does. When they had finished, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Because once Jesus has reminded Peter, not of the last thing he did, but the first time they met, now we see this, this restoration process. Peter's a fisherman, and Jesus doesn't quite let him off the hook. <laughs> so he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. It's interesting that he says that. And verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. I'm beginning to see a pattern here. Can anyone guess what happens in verse 17? He says to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. Now that says a lot right there. <laughs> because if he knows Jesus knows everything, then he knows Jesus knows everything. Because Jesus didn't bring it up. Jesus didn't say, hey, remember? Remember I told you, I told you you were going to deny me three times. Jesus never brings that up. But Peter knows that he knows. And we know what that's like, right? Your parents are kind of talking to you about the importance of responsibilities and being honest. You're like, okay, mom, I know what you're saying. I know you know. You know what I did. I left my socks on the floor. I didn't feed the dog. Or I said I swept the house, but really all I did was like push it into the corner. And it's just dirt there. Jesus knows. And Peter knows Jesus knows. And Peter's waiting like we do. Oh, here comes the spanking. But he says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So he's not saying, well, if you love me, you wouldn't have done this. Or if you love me, you wouldn't have done that. Or if you love me, you shouldn't have done this. You shouldn't have done this. You shouldn't have done this. Jesus reminds him of the first day they met. Remember when we met each other? And when I invited you on this adventure and you committed to follow me, wasn't that amazing? Let's remember that instead of the last thing you did. But he doesn't just let it go. See, there's a reason that Jesus asks him three times. And that's because Peter denied him three times. And in the Bible, specifically in Romans chapter 10, we learn how important it is to confess with our mouth. In fact, that's part of salvation. You have to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And Jesus even said that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if Peter was scared and he was saying all these things about Jesus, then Jesus says, okay, I'm going to restore you. And what we're going to do is through my love and my grace, we're going to cover that. You denied me three times, then you're going to confess, I love you, I love you, I love you. And once he's restored, then Jesus says, you're ready for more. See, Jesus, whenever he delivered someone, whenever he healed someone, whenever he saved someone, he always gave them instructions. A lot of people think, well, Jesus loves me, Jesus forgives me. And then they go back and do whatever they did the first time. But Jesus never let anyone stay the same. It was impossible to come into contact with Jesus and leave the same. There was always a change, always a difference of some sort. When he met the woman at the well and she was sleeping around with all those men, five, six men, I lost count. He says... I have living water. Go and do something. When he healed the people of leprosy, he said, go and do something. Whenever he forgave the woman caught in adultery with whatever man they let off the hook, he said, go and sin no more. See, when Jesus restores someone, he doesn't leave them there. The Bible says if you get delivered from something and you don't clean your house, that it's going to come back even worse with seven stronger spirits. That's crazy. That's kind of scary. But I love that Jesus gives him instructions. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know. You know that I messed up, but you know I love you and I want to get it right. Good. I've got a mission for you. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. And who is this telling Peter to do that? The good shepherd. See, Jesus knew how... 
time and history worked together and that it was his time to go up to heaven and to intercede for us at the right hand of God and for us, the church, the body of Christ, to be disciples. Now remember, he told Peter, I'm going to build my church on this revelation. And then Peter messed up and Jesus didn't tell him, you messed up, so you can't do this anymore. Or, you're not who I thought you were. Or, maybe I was mistaken. Or, well, I guess I'll find somebody else. And we would be okay if he did say that, because that's how our society works, isn't it? Well, you know what? I thought you were the closer, but you gave up two home runs. Or, I thought you were going to be my clutch server, but you know what? You just, you just sit in the back row, and we'll let somebody else serve the ball. Or, I thought you were going to make that block, and now we have to punt the ball. And You know what? Why don't you just let somebody else block instead of you? We're so used to someone saying, you're not good enough, I'll find someone else. But Jesus didn't revoke Peter's calling, even after Peter messed up. And that's so powerful because all these people that we've been praying for, we've been believing for these last three weeks, and I believe that there are things happening in people's hearts that we don't even know about yet. And when they come back, wherever God has called them to come back to, they don't start back at square one. Jesus says, remember, there's something for you. I have a plan. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you. He didn't say, well, this is Jeremiah 29, 11 B, Peter. I know the plans I had for you, but that's changed now. That's not who Jesus is. He says, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Are you cleansed? Are you going to confess your sin? Are you going to repent? Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. Good. Because I've still got a mission for you. And this is the birth of the church. Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost because first he sat down and had breakfast with Jesus. Peter preached to thousands of people. Over 3,000 people were saved on the day of Pentecost because of the three times that he confessed he loved Jesus. Peter stood up and began what history recalls as the inception of the church of Jesus Christ all over the world. Everybody. Non-denominationals, Presbyterians, Lutherans, Catholics, Eastern Orthodox. It all started that one day because Jesus didn't give up on Peter, even after he denied him to everybody. And boy, I tell you what, if Peter were alive today, he would be crucified in the media and on Twitter and on Instagram. Oh, this guy, this guy wants me to believe on Jesus when he couldn't even trust him when Jesus was in jail. This guy couldn't even show up to Jesus's funeral and he wants me to believe on who are you to tell me how to live my life? Men shouldn't tell women what to do with their bodies. Right? All these, this just spirit of rebellion that we see everywhere, all over the world. But Jesus did not give up on Peter. And he hasn't given up on us. And we're sitting here, we're reading the Bible, we're understanding the words, and here's our challenge. We've been learning about God's grace and how he loves us and accepts us and calls us home. Christ has left us in charge of reaching out to his sheep. Jesus right now is in heaven. Yes, he's in your heart. I was listening to that old message where Maddie was like, I always thought that like whenever you prayed that there was like a little Jesus inside of your heart. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. Tell Maddie we miss her. We love her. 
So Jesus, yes, he's inside of our hearts, but physically, spiritually, his supernatural body is in heaven right now, praying for us that our faith won't fail. And we are here in our bodies on earth, and we have to spread the message of Jesus. Because guess what? The good shepherd, he's gone on, but he gave us a mission. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. That's what we're supposed to do. See, there comes a point in time where, yes, God loves us and we learn and we grow and we get that forgiveness. But there's this, this maturity thing where you have to watch out for someone else. And if you have nieces or nephews or younger siblings, you know what it means when someone says, okay, you're old enough, now you can watch someone else. Well, nobody in here is younger than 12, right? Who's the youngest one in here? And you are? 14. 14. We're all teenagers in here. Think about this. So what I'm telling you today is yes, Every Sunday we come in and we learn and we learn and we need this. We need to refuel ourselves. I pulled over this morning because my car needed gas. Had to refuel. That's what Sunday does. It refuels our spirit. But you guys are old enough now and you know enough Bible to where you can minister to your friends. Where you can go to someone who's hurting, someone who's been lied to or lied about and say, you know what? Let me tell you how tough times don't last, but tough people do. Or someone who's been terrified because something just happened in their lives and all of a sudden, it, whether it's in the newspaper or if it's a private matter, and they're like, oh my God, my family's going to be torn apart. And you say, look, you don't have to be spooked. Let me talk to you about 2 Timothy 2.15. 1 Timothy 2.15. It's one of the Timothys. Second Timothy 1.7. 2 Timothy 2.15 actually says that, uh, study to show yourself approved, a workman who not, need not be ashamed of his product. That's what I was thinking of. I wrote that one time on a little girl's uh, quiz. She turned in the quiz and all her answers were Jesus. And she said, in CCD, they said Jesus is always the answer. So I wrote 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show yourself approved. A workman need not be ashamed of his product. And she's like, oh, he got me. So we have the word inside of us. And just like in athletics, you have to work it out and work it out and work it out. The Apostle Paul uses these athletic analogies for us. He says, work out your salvation. He didn't say earn your salvation. You're already saved once you've confessed Jesus as your Savior. But he's saying work it out. Because what happens if you're athletic but you don't use it? You end up like me. <laughs> you go to volleyball practice one day and you're like, oh, I'm going to die. Oh. It's my fault for scheduling a three-hour practice, right? That was a lot of volleyball. Because there was only nine of us, so it was just running, running, running. And then someone's like, let's play Queens of the Court. And we'll just run and run and run and run and run. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> but we are strong enough now where we can go and lift up our friends, our teammates, our siblings. You are even in the position, this is kind of a creepy thing, but it's beautiful when it happens, to remind your parents. It's not like a, oh, well, don't forget. It's not like a sassy thing, but like, hey, mom, remember, remember when you taught me that one scripture? Well, I think that scripture would help you right now. Like That would bless your parents so much for you to remind them and you to bring their to, hey, mom, God loves you. Hey, dad, you're working hard. I just want you to remember the joy of the Lord is your strength. And then that's just going to be like, oh, my kids are getting it. I mean, Paul says in 3 John 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Right? So our challenge here, when I say yours to keep, I don't mean 
It's this revelation that we hold on to. I mean, these sheep out there are ours to keep. Think about this. If I would have said, well, I want to live my life and I want to just come to church whenever I want to. And I just want to teach and make money on the side and have my summers off and be my own man. Who would be in this classroom right now? I don't know. You guys have had several teachers, and every single one of them has taught you the Word of God. I'm not saying anything bad about your teachers, but I know where God has called me to be. Does that make sense? And if I wasn't here, God would have to find someone else to be here. Now, don't think that, like, well, I'm more powerful than God, and if I don't do it, it's not going to get done. I heard a minister say it this way. You're not God's first choice. You are his, oh, I said that backwards. Oh, okay. He said, you're not God's only choice. You're his first choice. I'm like, oh, because then we, we understand, like, God has called me to do this. He's equipped me to do this. It's like when the coach says, hey, you're up. Wow, it's my turn. But you're not the only player. So if we decide, well, I'm going to run away from the shepherd. And, and like some people say, well, if I don't do it, it ain't going to get done. Well, that's not how the gospel works. If you don't do it, God will find someone to get it done. That's how our church works. That's how the, the body of Christ works. God has called us each to do something, and we're responsible to do that. But if not, He'll just go find somebody else. But with Peter, I love this vision. Jesus said, Peter, on this rock of revelation, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And Peter's like, yeah, cool. And then later on, they're eating dinner, and Jesus is like, hey, I'm going to be betrayed. And Peter's like, no, you won't, Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. And then, then they're in the garden, and the cops show up, and Peter's like, let's get him. And chops this guy's ear off. And Jesus is like, put your sword up. This has to happen. And Peter's just like, ugh, that's two strikes, right? And then he goes and denies Jesus three times. And then the next time he sees Jesus... Think about the three last interactions they've had. You can believe Peter's nervous. What's Jesus going to say? Is he going to bring up the last thing I said or did? No. Jesus reminds him of the first time they met and then says, Hey, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? All right, good. You're restored. You're forgiven. Let's get back to work. Feed my sheep. That's how the body of Christ works. And that's my challenge to you. Find somebody this week that you can encourage with a scripture. Even if it's just a sticky note. Even if it's just one of those coloring sheets. Kids love those coloring sheets. Remember when we drew the shoes? We designed our shoes about how beautiful are the feet of those who... I still have my shoe. It's in my room. Probably. I still have your scripture scrapbooks. We're going to bring those back, I think, starting in the beginning of next year. Just give somebody a scripture. Give somebody a text. Send them the little, the Bible app has the verse of the days. I send them to you guys. You can send them to somebody else. Because we are at that age where we're not just, gimme, 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 gimme. Every day is Black Friday. What can I buy myself for Christmas? You're at that age where, hey, I'm strong. I can pray for myself. I can take care of myself. Who needs help? Who needs prayer? And I want you to think about this, because a lot of our prayer requests are often, well, I this, and my that, and my family. And yes, God is here to help us, but we are here to help others. And I'll say that one more time for those of you listening to the recording. Yes, God is here to help us, but He has put us here to help others. Because Jesus doesn't hate people, He heals people. And the way that He does that is by sending us to keep His sheep. 
So we have gone through a powerful three weeks. I encourage you guys to go back and listen to the messages in order because it's just a developing topic. We're his sheep. You have a place. It ain't cheap. You have a price. And yours to keep. You have a purpose. So we're going to go ahead and close out here, the live audience in prayer. And for the rest of you, just know that we love you and God is listening to your prayers, whether or not you listen to these messages. Thanks for tuning in. God bless.